Let's turn for our passage of Scripture for the sermon to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Listen to uh, question 90 of the Shorter Catechism as we think about praying and Hearing the word preached. How is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? Answer. That the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we do remind ourselves of this question and this answer. And Father, we pray that our hearts are ready, Lord, that we've prepared our hearts to receive your word with faith and love. And Father, as we listen, as we hear today, give us ears that hear. Lord, that we might hide these words in our hearts and walk away from this place to practice them in our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, last week we went through Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And we saw that uh, there's some earworms that we have to deal with. Earworms are, if you remember what an earworm is, you remember what an earworm is? A piece of music that begins to play in our heads. And we can't get it out. It's there. It's really, these are not detrimental things. These are, I mean, they distract people. Uh, if you go read the research, it says they distract women more than men. <laughs> but uh, those are not necessarily bad things. But these earworms we talked about last week about anxiety, anxiety earworms. There's things that happen to us. Uh, there's things that people say to us that we record and we play over and over and over. There are videos that we have in our minds when somebody said or did something in our presence and we know that shouldn't have happened. We don't. I mean, we can't help that it happened, but it did. And then we run it through our minds at 3.15 in the morning and we don't sleep and it bothers us and we're anxious and there's, there's anxieties. Uh, I talked to Steve. Steve's telling me his anxiety at 3.15 in the morning last week was uh, having surgery. Thursday, he's telling me about his anxieties about being on a table with a doctor and not knowing what he's doing. And so these are things that we talked about last week that we are to take to the Lord in prayer. We are to back up with our dump truck of anxieties and we are to unload them on the Lord. And maybe we ought to put this in the sermon. Maybe we should have put this in the sermon last week as well. If you're tempted to pick them back up as you drive off, go back to the spot and dump them back out again. Remember that. Remember that. Today we're going to talk about a disciplined Christian mind and a disciplined Christian uh, life. 
disorderly lives are usually the way they are because they don't think correctly and they, then they don't act correctly. And so what we want to think about today is a disciplined Christian life, a disciplined Christian thought life, and a disciplined Christian action, a life of action. Listen to what it says there. In verse 8, dwell on these things. Then in verse 9, practice these things. And then there's a promise at the end where it says the God of peace will be with you. There's, those are the three points. The disciplined Christian thought life, dwell on these things. The disciplined Christian life, practice these things. The disciplined Christian's promise, the God of peace will be with you. It's inevitable that it's an invisible thing, but it's real. Your life of thought and your life of action are inseparable. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Jesus says it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, and the man begins to act. The good man brings out of his good treasure the good treasure of his heart, what is good, the evil man brings out of his evil treasure, the evil treasure of his heart, what is evil. So the life of thought and the life of action, they are inseparable. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says that we're to bring every thought. We all love this one verse. People begin to smile. Every thought, we're to bring it into captivity. We're to put it in prison, if you will. Let me, let me give you, you know, lately... Lately, I've been on four air flights, airplane, airplane flights. I don't like going to the airport ever. But, and I don't like that part where you pull out your, your uh, ticket and then you have to show your identification to this guy and he looks at you and you say, are you Mark Wheat? And I go, yes, I am. And then I pass through and then I have to take my shoes off. And they check my shoes and then they, they look at, they, what's in your bag? What's in your bag? We're not going to give you your bag till you tell us what's in your bag. Probably an inhaler. Oh, okay, yeah, that, okay, okay. And then the next thing they ask me is, uh, what's on your neck? I forgot to take my pen off my neck. And, I mean, and what's in your foot? Oh, well, I have a pen in my foot. <laughs> I mean, folks, that's how we're to examine our thought life. Every thought is to be taken into a cell like TSA. Hey, oh. Let me take a look at your shoes. Let me take a look at that thought. How does that thought work out against these scriptures and these God's word? This is what we're talking about today. And the disciplined Christian thought life, it's commanded. He says, dwell. It's a command. Dwell on these things. True things, honorable things, right things, pure things, lovely things. Good things of good repute. Those things that are excellent. Those things that are worthy of praise. It's a command. The word dwell, it means all sorts of things. But one of the words I think is easy to remember is muse. But you don't use that word very much. <laughs> we, do you ever say, I muse? I, I doubt it. I bet you don't say that. I bet you say, I dwell. I, I like to say mull. You know, that kind of gets the point. What are you doing? Well, I'm mulling. I'm mulling. But think about that versus amuse. That alpha privative negates the thinking. Muse means to think. Amuse means not to think. Now, I'm not against not thinking sometimes. I'm not. But we are being commanded to muse. 
We're being commanded to dwell, and it's a command that's present tense. All the time, we are to be thinking God's Word. One man, Robert Johnstone, wrote this in the 1800s. He said this, The only safe course to regard um, is to disregard the world's maps of reality or morality and to study God's map of morality given in the Bible and conscience. There, in God's map of morality, all lies are marked black. We're to use the Word of God to help us determine our course and all our thinking. And what I'm going to lay out here for just a second, tell you what's coming. We're going to look at two qualities that govern our thought life, excellence and praiseworthiness. And then we're going to look at specific content. There's those six things that I read to you. But first, let's muse a little more. In Deuteronomy 17, the king, you go read Deuteronomy 17, when the king comes into existence in Israel's history, he is to take out, a co- he is to write his own copy of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, you think about what that means. Is he going to do that in a day? No, he's not. He's going to have to sit down on a regular basis. And he's going to have to write out the law of God and have it for himself, his own copy of the Word of God. What is that doing for that man? Well, that is teaching that man that he's a man. It's reminding him that he is going to serve under God's Word and serve the people as one under God's Word. When Joshua takes the point after Moses dies, God tells Joshua these words. He says, It's commanded that you not allow this book of the law to depart from your mouth but that you should meditate upon it day and night. And then he says, be careful always to do everything written in it. Do you hear that? Thought and action. Thought and action. Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who walks not, stands not, sits not. Action, action, action. Walks not in the counsel of the wicked. One of the girls said she's going to go try to be a counselor. Well, maybe not try. She's going to be one, right? We're going for it. So, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands not in the path of sinners, sits not in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is by, is what? Is regulated by what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. In fact, we could add a little something here. You know, in that passage of Scripture, you never think about it, but somebody took that tree and planted it by a stream of water. God had to do something to get that person beside that stream of water. They've been transformed by God, and now their thinking is this way, and their actions are in a godly way. The wicked are not so. Now, dwell on these things. It's command. It's a present tense command. And so you and I, we are never done with this kind of thinking. And this command comes to the king. This command comes to the president. This command comes to the general. This command comes to the CEO, the CAO, and whatever else owes there are out there. Every mom and every dad, every young man and every young girl dwell on these things. Well, first, uh, second, this disciplined Christian thought life is controlled by two qualities. Let me lay these out for you. Excellence and praiseworthiness. If there's any excellence, the word excellence points to anything excellent in in a particular sphere of activity. 
If you see anything excellent, this is how you're. This is what you're supposed to do. If you see somebody that does something really excellent, um, I told Evan. I said, you know, you've never seen Bob Hayes run the hundred meter dash in 1964. I'm t- y'all. Most of y'all people go, who's that? You know, Bob Hayes. He he won the hundred meter dash in 1964. You can see it on YouTube. And I told Evan. I said, I want you to watch this guy run the hundred meter dash. It's unbelievably beautiful to watch this guy run. And when I think about somebody running a 100-meter dash, I go, you know, I want to run like that for God. When I go and I watch a symphony, when I watch the Danish symphony orchestra on YouTube, and I see that guy get up there and lead that with that little strutting peacock outfit he's got on, and I see all those brass and all those winds and all, I mean all the woods and I see all these people out there. And then all of a sudden they make this incredible sound, one unit. And I think to myself, that's how God wants the church to work. <laughs> he doesn't want people competing. He wants them to take part where they're supposed to and fit in where they're supposed to and glorify God together like the symphony. That's excellence. When you see something excellent, it should lift up your mind to think, I want to do that in that way for God. Lofty thinking. The, also, the next word he says, if there's anything worthy of praise, or we can just use one word, praiseworthy. Uh, think about praiseworthy like this. this. This is a word that speaks of thoughts that cause universal applause. When you think, I want you to think, people need to see my mind and think, that's worthy of applause. Now, do you any any of you guys know what a driving theater is? <laughs> oh, that's it. Okay. Uh, you know, during COVID, they told us in California that we could go to church if we had a drive-in theater. And I told everybody, I said, but we don't have one. So we're going to figure out how to do it without a drive-in theater. Anyway, that's another story. But think about a drive-in theater. Guys, listen, some of you guys that don't know what that is, you drive in. And there's a big screen over here, and usually they keep it where the people on the highways can't see it. And then there's a there's a post in a speaker, and you roll your window down, you put your, uh, you know, the speaker right there in the window. You go get your popcorn, your candy, and everything, and you sit down and watch a movie in your car. I want you to think that your mind is on the screen in front of everybody, and will people go, "I'll pay to see that." That thinking, that mind, that person's mind, that's worthy of applause. Or would they say, oh, no, 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 I'm not paying to see that. This is what we're talking about. Thinking that's wor- that, that causes people to go, that is worthy. That's wholesome. That's worthy of applause. Well, now we see this thought life. It's commanded. It's controlled by these two qualities. Let's look at specific content. And there's six of these. The first one, he says, whatever is true. So here we have truth versus what is false. The Word of God tells us what is true versus what is false. And we need to know that every thought as we go through TSA, every thought, Jesus is the TSA agent. He's the one who's looking at your face. He's the one who's looking at your ticket. He's the one who's looking at your shoes. He's the one who's looking at your computer when you have to pull it out of your bag. He's the one you're bringing all your thoughts to. And so you have the Word of God in front of you. And when you go and define marriage, you don't define marriage according to Obergefell 2015. 
How do we define marriage? Well, the Bible tells us how to define to define it. The Bible tells us that when Adam got finished naming all the animals, he was down at the front looking for his and he didn't find anybody that fit with him. God put him to sleep and gave him a woman. A man and a woman. That's marriage. Not a Supreme Court decision. It doesn't redefine it. doesn't make it right. When it comes to gender, the Bible tells us that God has stamped men to be men, women to be women. And if you look at your body and you see that you're a man, you are going to live like a man. This is God's design, not mine. This is not what I make up. This is what He makes up. And if a poll says something different, if the media says something different, it doesn't make any difference. You want to live a joyful life? Live it the way God's designed you to live. When it comes to being saved, there's not many ways to salvation. There's only one way, Jesus says. He says, I am the way and the truth. Every other thing is false. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's no other name that's been given among men by which you must be saved. Paul says, Romans 10, call on the name of the Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's true. All other ways, false. First, whatever is true. Let the word of God define for you what is true. Think on these things. Whatever is honorable. Now, you think about honorable, you have to think about something weighty versus something that's frivolous. Something that doesn't weigh very much. What weighs a lot? Well, let me tell you what weighs the most. God does. God does. Go read Isaiah 6. So Isaiah's friend, King Uzziah, dies and Isaiah's in the temple and all of a sudden the weighty God appears. We know from John chapter 12 that it's Jesus sitting on a throne, pre-incarnate Christ is sitting there and the weight of His presence begins to cause the building to shake. Smoke is going up into the sky. Angels are covering their eyes and their feet. And their lungs have pressure against them to, to sing. <laughs> and then the prophet begins to break to pieces. He confesses his sins and then he says, I'll do whatever you say. Here I am. Send me. These are lofty things that we are to think. These are the weighty things that we are to have on our mind, more precious to us than gold and silver pieces. And this means that you and I must avoid the frivolous. We must avoid the shallow. The greatest sin, I, I read this somewhere, I just wrote this in my notes, the great sin of our day is to think on the shallow, to major on the minors and not major on the majors. We need to be those who think of now, it's not to say that we can't, like I said earlier, I mean, I, I, know, all know, I know we need amuse, amusement. I know that. I know we need to go hunting and fishing and so forth. But is that all we do? Do we just hunt? Do we just fish? Do we just watch TV? Do we just work? Jesus told us a parable about a rich fool who built... Uh, better barns to soar all his harvest so that he might live happily ever after. And he never thought about how important his soul was before God. And then that day after he built his better barns and stored everything up to live happily ever after, God required his soul of him. You and I, we need our clothes and we need our amusements, but that's not all we need. We need 
the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to think seriously about the weightiness of God Himself. Think on the serious and not so much on the frivolous. Third, what is right? So this is what is right versus what is wrong. This is what is just versus what is unjust. And so when you and I, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're declared righteous. It's an act. These these words I'm saying, these words are vitally important. It's an act that you're justified by faith. You're justified by faith. Christ, His righteousness is imputed to your account. You are now righteous before holy God. We have our children's catechism. And what does it say? It says, you are declared not guilty, treated as if you have never sinned. But... There's also something along with this gospel that we receive by faith. We receive a resource. And what's that resource? It's the Holy Spirit. And in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. And Timothy is told by Paul in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, You have not received a spirit of timidity or cowardice, but you've received a spirit of power and love and discipline. And so, folks, listen, you have the power to choose the right and stay away from the wrong. You have the power to love when everybody else is hating. You have the power to discipline yourself and think the right things when other people or when you could think the wrong. You and I must avoid irresponsibility and do what is right. Avoid any thinking that undermines your ability to do what is right. To do your duty to God and to others and to yourself. All irresponsibility has to be avoided. You know, my son, he likes to say, Dad, do you like the idea of being a Navy SEAL? I said, well, every guy does. Don't we like all those toys those guys have? And all those things those guys do? But you know, I told him, you know what I told him? I said, every man needs to be a Navy SEAL in his head. You with me? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that when your neck hurts, you keep working. I mean when you don't feel like praying, you get up and you pray anyway. I mean when you don't feel like reading your Bible to your family, you read your Bible to your family anyway. You do what you're supposed to do. That's what those guys are trained to do. Those guys are trained to say, bring it on, brother. You ain't ever stopping me. Well, that's what we need to do when it comes to godly things. Be responsible. Be the one that gets up and loves. Be the one that disciplines yourself and do that which is wholesome and good. Yeah, we're not out there to go shoot and throw bombs and stuff. But in this kingdom of God that we're working in, our bombs are to do the right thing and think the right thing. Well, next, whatever's pure. One man writes, not tainted, not corrupt, all these things. I, I wrote all these things down, and, I remember, and, and as I began to get uh, work on my preaching a little bit better, I, I said, I put, I'm going to leave this in this sermon. I wrote this down, and I thought, I'm going to. But the thing we need to do is see this. <laughs> what do we, we need to see this. What's pure? What does pure look like? What does pure look like on the screen at the drive-in movie? What's that look like? Well, let me try to, let me try to help you. You know, we live in a world that's so impure. It's really unbelievable. 
the pornography that's around us, the impurity that's around us. So there are people who tell us that because there's so much, it's so pervasive that we need to learn to view pornography in a responsible way. Did you hear that? We need to learn to view pornography in a responsible way. Well, let me see if I can help you out. I want you to think about this. Can you responsibly go to the to the Empire State Building and jump out the window? If you do it responsibly, shouldn't that be okay? Well, what's the end there? Well, can you, let me, on the way home, I want you to think about this. I want you kids to say, Dad, what did that preacher say? So you're going down the 99 and you're going home or you're going down the 59 or whichever way you came. And so can you responsibly get out of your car and lie down on one of the white lines? No, you can't do that. You can't responsibly jump out of the Empire State Building because you die. And you can't responsibly get out of, the, out of your car and lie down on the white line because you will be run over. And you cannot responsibly view pornography. doesn't matter what anybody says. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, please don't go do this. I read a story in, in years ago about a woman in John, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' church who literally took something to her eye. She was the light, They called her the lady with the eye shade. We're talking spiritual. No provision for the flesh. No, Mrs. Potter, for you cannot responsibly... Go over and tempt Joseph. And no, Joseph, you cannot responsibly have an affair with this woman. No, David, you can't go look over the balcony and lust for a woman. There's no responsible way to do this. It's sin. Stay away. Be pure. The writer of the Proverbs says this. Let me put it in my terms. You may think sometimes that you are the man or you are the woman who can literally go out and get hot coals and hug them up to your chest. And you won't be burned. That's deception. You will be burned. Stay away from the things that are impure. And look to the things that are pure. And Jesus is the one to you to be, need to think of. Fifth, what is lovely? Whatever is lovely. Now, this means endearment. You need to think, now don't do this like a hypocrite, but you, you need to think, what you do, people watch. And when people watch what you do, when people see how you handle your family, when people see how you work around other people, they need to see you do it, and then they take out a shovel, if you will, and they scoop out a little piece of their heart and make room for you to be there. I was telling Will yesterday, because we stayed up here after the... Um, Bible study, there was a woman that she came up to me and she said, uh, in my gym that I worked in, <laughs> let me leave a bunch out, but she said this, she said, fooey on my theology. She said, I don't mind that you baptize the babies. Now, you're the only man in this gym who's a Christian. So what do you mean? She said, I see how you look at people. I see what you don't look at. I see what you do talk about. I hear what you don't talk about. She made room for me in her heart. 
I won't tell you what church she went to, but she made room for me in her heart. And her theology should not have allowed me to be there. We do things, we make, we do things so that people will see what we do. One little girl, one, one dad said to his daughter who died early, he said this, he said, Honey, what makes everybody love you so well? And she said, Papa, I cannot think unless it be because I love everybody. Why does everybody make room for the little girl? Well, because she loves everybody. This means that we have to avoid angry, abusive speech. It means we have to avoid hostility and anger. Think about it. If somebody yells at you, what does it stir up? Proverbs 15.1, the harsh word stirs up wrath and the soft response turns it away. I was with Kyle one day and Kyle told me, he said, you know, Pastor Mark, he said, uh, I still struggle out here on the highway with my anger when people cut me off. And he said, do you? I said, well, I wouldn't put it past myself to say something or yell at somebody or do something. I said, but most of the time I don't. I said, but it's taken practice and I've learned how to respond the right way. I said, what I struggle with, Kyle, is not when is when people are with me, I usually say soft words. I usually say exactly what I ought to say, but it's when I go home and I have my second thoughts, that's where I have to wrestle. Y'all with me? Second thoughts. I want to be the equalizer. I want to be the avenger. I want to go, man, this is what I should have said. You know, this is what I should have done. And I'm going to tell you, in your second thoughts, oh man, I I won on the highway. I won in front of Kyle. I won in front of my family. I didn't get angry. (laughs) When I go home, I need to drill down and remind myself to love in my heart even then when nobody's looking. Overcoming these evil thoughts with good. Six, whatever is admirable. And again, these, these, these words, they almost kind of They almost blend together. They're saying the same thing. But this is a sense in which we go and we want to please the persons in front of us. We want to hear, well done. And Jesus, he tells this parable of the talents. And he talks about a master going on a trip. And he goes to uh, three men. He gives one man five talents, one, two, and one, one. And he tells them he's going to go on a journey. And they get into the mind of the master. And they know what he wants. And so while he's gone, they earn one of the one who has five earns five more. The one who has two earns two more. And we all know about the one, and I'm not going to talk about him. But when the master comes back, the, the guy who earned five more and the guy who earned two more, they heard, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Both of these men heard those words. Both of these men got into the mind of that master and they knew what would make him happy. They wanted to hear well done. And when they were all done, when it was all said and done, they heard him say, well done, well done. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, I don't know about you, many of you guys, maybe you've read Emma, Jane Austen's Emma. Now, all my kids have read Emma. Guess who hasn't read it? 
I haven't read it. But I've watched the movie a bunch of times. Does that count? Um, so here's what we do when we, we start watching these shows and they've all read it. Uh, we stop it all along the way and I go, okay, well, what happened before this and what happened after this and what happened, you know, and so they're filling me, they're telling me everything. It's like I've read the book. But one of the lines that Mr. Knightley says to Emma, he watches her mistreat an older woman. He walks over to the carriage, ever a gentleman that he is, puts her up in the carriage and he looks at her and he says, it was badly done, Emma, badly done indeed. I, I never forget those words. I don't ever want to hear those words. I don't want to hear anybody say those words. She goes and she repents, and that's, that's well done. But what we want to hear God say is, is well done. Well done indeed with those thoughts. Well, this is the disciplined Christian thought life. Much more quickly, the disciplined Christian life. Verse 9, practice these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. It's not enough to reflect. It's not enough to muse. It's not enough to think. It's not enough to do these things all the time in our heads. But we have to go out and practice these things. The ones that we learned. The ones that we received. The ones he says you've heard and seen in me. Paul is the example. He's in front of them. He's been teaching them. They've been receiving them. And they've been watching his life. Practice these things. Young people. Are you practicing the things you've seen in your parents? You've learned them. You've approved them. You've been watching them. Now, there's not one of the parents in front of you guys that's going to say, yeah, I got it all together and I never made a mistake. They're going to tell you they've made mistakes. But they are laying out a map for you. And what they say, what they do, they're laying out a map for you to live for God. Will you make Christianity your own? Man, I tell you what. Again, here's a little commercial for tonight. But I want you to think about it. Think about Saul when he starts out early on and the Saul we see at the very end of 1 Samuel. Do you think the man ever believed that early on he would be meeting with a medium at the end of his life? Where will I be in 10 years, guys? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Am I doing, am I going to practice what I've learned and received and heard and seen? We have no excuse, young people. The water's been put on your head. God has claimed you to be His very own. You have parents, you've grown up in a godly home. What will you be doing in 10 years? Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 35, 5, there's an interesting little interchange between Jeremiah the prophet and the Rechabites. And he brings the wine in front of them. He says, drink wine, drink wine. And they all go, no. Now, this, this little story is not to say you can't drink wine, guys. Y'all know better than that. But what they say is this. They say, we will not drink wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall not drink wine. This is not a prohibition against drinking wine. It's that they are obeying their father who told them to live in tents all their lives. What does that mean? What does it mean to live in tents all your lives? Well, it means you don't settle down, you don't grow a vineyard, and you don't press grapes and make yourself wine. The reason they're not drinking wine is they never settled down. And these men could say at the end of their lives, we have obeyed our fathers. Have you obe- are you going to obey your fathers? 
and obey your mothers. They pointing you, they're pointing you to God, to Christ, and the Word of God. Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse 27 through 24 through 27, Jesus is concluding the Sermon on the Mount. And He talks about a wise man and a foolish man. And He says the wise man and the foolish man both build houses. Did y'all notice that? They both build houses. They both have wood. They both have nails. They both have, uh, you know, the two-by-fours and the roof and all the other that goes into building a house. They have two different foundations. One is sand and one is a a rock. And he says, the rock-like foundation is built on my words. You hear these words, you dwell on these words, you practice these words, you build your life on my words, and you have a house built on a rock. And so the rain comes, the floods rise, and the winds blow and burst against your house. You're built on a rock and you stand in the day of judgment. But on the day of judgment for the man has a house just like this guy's house. The wise man's house and the, the foolish man's house, just the same. But underneath, there's something different. There's sand. There's sand. Because he didn't practice those words. He built his house on sand. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I dwelling on these things? Am I practicing these things? And now that brings us to the promise. The promise, the disciplined Christian's promise. Look at verse 9. It says, and the God of peace will be with you. Man, you know what? Which one do I want? Last week, we looked at verses 6 and 7, and we said that if we practice prayer, and we bring every one of our anxieties, and we dump them out on the Lord, that He gives us the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. And then here He says, if you're a disciplined Christian, and you dwell on these things, and you practice these things, the God of peace is with you. Which one do you want? You don't have to choose. You get them both. (laughs) Right? You You don't get one, you get both of them. If you go over here and you learn to take care of these earworms of anxiety and prayer, and you go over here and you dwell on these things, and you practice these things, you get them both. Jesus says in in John 14, 23, says, If you practice my commandments, that I and the Father will come and reside with you. Abide with you. You get God, you get Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is with you. The God of peace will be with you. Experience God's fullest blessings and presence by walking according to His commands. Dwell on these things, practice these things, and experience the very presence and peace of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the opportunity again to worship with Your people. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how Your Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our lives. And we do, we long to know the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And we long to know the God of peace that He's with us. We praise You and thank You that You are with us. That You're at work in our heart. And that You are sanctifying us and teaching us to put sin aside and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in His name now. Amen.